the first thing I think we can do is simply be positive role models, talk to kids, especially about positive examples and go out of our way to meet and greet and support others who aren't like us. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you're a fan of the show, make sure you leave a review, rate the show, and share it on social media. It does a a great deal to help us build our audience. And by the way, if you like some of the guests that you've heard and you have some ideas on others that might be a great fit, please email me directly at rob at robeigner.com. That's R-O-B at R-O-B-A-I-G-N-E-R.com and uh, send me some guest ideas. All right, thanks so much for listening. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. Rob Eigner here, excited to bring to you another episode that has both historical significance as well as right-in-the-moment current implications. So I welcome to the show today, Linda Tamora. She is a professor of education at Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. She's also a Sansei third-generation Japanese-American and daughter of a World War II veteran. Now, she was, this is interesting, she was raised on an orchard in Hood River, Oregon. It's beautiful there. We probably all have drank some apple juice from that part of the country. She's also the granddaughter of, a, of Japanese immigrants. In addition to her book, Nisei Soldiers Break Their Silence, she's also the author of Hood River Nisei. She's very involved in projects, exhibits, and organizations educating and celebrating the history of Japanese Americans and inclusion in Oregon. Linda, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. So talk to us a little bit about what prompted you, what made you make the choice to write a book uh, uh, about uh, these topics? Mm. Well, I'll tell you, actually, when I was growing up as a kid in school, we didn't study Japanese Americans. It wasn't in my history books in high school or college. And my family didn't talk about those topics either. And when I was a young adult, my uncle suggested I interview my grandmother. And she was 80-something. He said she's lived an interesting life. She was a picture bride who came to the United States. And so after about a year, grandma finally agreed to speak with me. And I learned about her life in Japan, the difficult time working when she came to the United States. And I began to learn about the wartime incarceration. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, there weren't a lot of books available about Asian Americans. So I ended up at the library reading old issues of local newspapers. And <laughs> there was one page ad that still brings chills to me. And it was a, an ad that said, Japanese are not 
wanted in this valley. And there was a map that showed purportedly that Japanese landowners were squeezing out white owners. It had a list of Issei and Nisei landowners. And the goal was in succeeding issues to put check marks to show that that their property had been sold. What, what year were these ads running, Linda? It was in 1945, January. So right, right in the height of the war period. Exactly. And, and the worst part for me was to see the list of names below. There were dozens of names, and it included the parents and the grandparents of classmates, my bus driver, mm. also my junior high English teacher. So I see the I see this I see the sadness that you still have around it right now. Yeah, I mean it and nobody wanted to talk about it. Uh, I asked my mom and she said, "Do you want to start World War 3?" <laughs> and that's when I learned a Japanese saying something like the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be the the wrench. The, the tough thing was that I began to learn more about the national notoriety that my community had faced, but I also began to ask questions about what happened during World War II and why the white community didn't talk about it, why the Issei and Nisei didn't talk about it. And that led me, to answer your question, mm-hmm. that led me to finally interview not only my grandmother, but other Issei in the community about their lives. And it was years and years because I used to joke, this was my hobby between midnight and three o'clock because I had another job that was totally unrelated. But I ended up interviewing the Issei and writing Hood River Issei, the book. And then I wanted to know more about incidents that happened in my hometown, including the fact that there was an honor roll with six, the names of 1,600 veterans from World War I. Mm. And in 1944, the names of 16 were removed, and those were all Nisei veterans. Mm. So that really led me to asking more questions, to interview the Nisei veterans and community members, and began to learn more about my story, their story, but also... I wanted to empower them by helping them to understand that what they had done was not wrong, that their stories did a lot. I'm sorry to interrupt Linda, but did a lot of the people you interviewed, did they carry some sort of self-directed blame around this happening or how, how were they carrying it? I think when, especially when you see neighbors and people with whom you work who have signed a petition When you come home after being incarcerated for three years, when you've done nothing wrong, when you see signs on stores saying Japs are not wanted, and when you see people you thought were friends who don't want to talk to you or try to avoid you, then then I think they did carry a lot of self-blame. They didn't know why. Or shame of some kind. Did they didn't want they didn't want to talk about it because it was different that way. It's, I'm sorry to interrupt again, Linda, but it, it, it really, the, the parallels already, just in the short time we've been talking, it's so similar to some of the experiences the Jews experienced in the Holocaust, right? Of having to wear the, 
the golden star and their businesses being defaced and Jews aren't welcome here and kids being separated in schools and forgetting the Holocaust part, just that, just the experience you're describing and the experience I just described, they're very similar. Absolutely. And that's why it was so powerful to meet your parents in 2016 when Japanese American Museum of Oregon and the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education decided they wanted to have a joint program. And they asked me to be the moderator. And I was struck because I said, they're not the same. You you can't talk about them in the same vein. But but in fact, there's they, a lot of parallels. They all were shamed. They all were criticized and ostracized. And dehumanized, really. Just because of who they were. Now, Linda, I'm curious. So you so you this happened. The incidences you were writing about were happening in the 40s. What year was it that you did your first, you know, official interview of your grandmother? I actually began interviewing my grandmother in the 19 late 1970s. Okay, so 30 years plus. So here I had a question around that. So 30 years after the original incident, how did it change how you felt about being an American or being in America? Mm. Well, let me preface this by saying that I was also a teacher mm-hmm. and first and second grade. And then for teachers, I became a teacher of teachers. And I said the Pledge of Allegiance a lot. And, you know, we pledge liberty and justice for all. I try to be a role model for kids and talk to them about the Constitution. And and this just didn't represent what what I believed. What was difficult for me was to talk to especially Nisei veterans. They, they served our country in Europe and the South Pacific when in fact their families were incarcerated. And yet they believed that they needed to support their country. And some of them told me I needed to prove my loyalty. Mm-hmm. And in many ways that was so sad because they already were Americans. They were doing so much for our country, but but they didn't feel that they were accepted. So they had to do more to show that loyalty. Would you say that sense of loyalty, was that that one of the most common through lines that you found in all the interviews? Yes. That desire to kind of prove themselves or undo the shame or however you want to describe it. Yeah. Even after Pearl Harbor had been bombed, 148 East from Hood River signed a pledge that they sent to Governor Charles Sprague in Oregon, attesting to the fact that we love this country so much, we want to prove our loyalty. Mm. On the other hand, there were others, such as a veteran I interviewed who, in the military, faced discrimination, and he ended up challenging that discrimination and spending 19 months at Fort Leavenworth. Mm. There was Minya Sui who was a Nisei attorney who challenged the curfew because he knew it was unconstitutional, but Mm. he ended up spending nine months in solitary confinement. So there are lots of ifs and buts, but definitely the Issei and Nisei and the Jews were not treated respectfully. And one of my goals has been to help to validate them, to help them to recognize that they did right. There was nothing wrong that they did. And we simply need to help others understand 
that they're full citizens, they're full Americans. They deserve a lot of respect. Yeah, no, and that's a, a very well said and a, and a perfect pivot to, you know, kind of another related, very related subject matter I wanted to bring up. So, you know, I'm going to first just kind of speak from my own perception and then I'm going to read you some stats and I want to kind of have it lead us to our next point of conversation. And that is that, you know, when I think of ra- racial inequity in America, you know, I often or historically haven't really thought of Asians. I've thought of blacks or Hispanics or whatever. And, and the reality is, is that I think there's this, the, the bias that has been directed towards Asians in my lifetime, you know, born in the, in the sixties has been much quieter or less obvious. So when I was preparing to interview you, I did some research and in fact, my experience or perception is, is proven out in the numbers. So I'll just read you a couple of things. This is from the uh, American Psychological Association. Asian Americans report less discrimination in employment, housing, and criminal justice compared with other racial minorities, but they often fall victim to a unique set of stereotypes, including the false belief that all Asian Americans are successful and well-adapted, that render them invisible in the discussions of race and prejudice in America. So let's start with that point. What, what are your, what's your reaction to that? I, I have seen those stats, Rob. And, and yes, although in the first three months of this year, reports of discrimination against Asian Americans has more than doubled, mm-hmm. they also are less likely to, to report. report so so what is that because i i have some of the stats on how much the the violence and hate hate crimes have increased too so that was my next point um but why is it that do you think that it's less reported what is it about that community maybe it's history you know way back and it goes back to the saying i shared with you in in japan and in many asian countries People wanted to go along to get along. They didn't speak out. They wanted to stick together. They didn't want to become more visible than others. And in some ways, the discrimination that they faced during World War II uh, proved that out. From my parents and from my grandparents, I was encouraged not to be too loud, not to be a fixture. They, They didn't want to stand out. And I think that has affected perhaps how they've raised their children and succeeding generations. I do think that those of us who follow the Sansei, the Yonsei, the Gosei are much more open. We've become much more vocal. Mm-hmm. But I will also share with you an example of an incident I heard of, mm-hmm. uh, a vibrant, outgoing Asian-American leader who, in fact, was harassed at a grocery store. And apparently she did not speak out. And apparently she didn't report this. And that was surprising to me because I would have expected just the opposite. I don't know how I would respond, but it was an example of the fact that sometimes when it hits you, maybe your inclination may be not not to become a fixture. Have you ever thought about hosting your own podcast? This episode of Clear Choices is brought to you in partnership with Libsyn. 
powerful podcast hosting, the podcast hosting, distribution, and monetization platform since 2004. Use promo code CHOICES and you can get over one month of free services. Go to Lipson.com, promo code CHOICES. And, and I'm curious, have you, as of recently yourself, noticed an increase of stereotyping? Like, have you experienced that directly? Yeah, that's a good question. No. Hmm. But I'll tell you that <laughs> my partner, Mike, actually gave me a neck gaiter to wear. And, you know, you wear it right around your neck. It's kind of like a scarf. Like, a, like it for COVID purposes. Exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He suggested that I pull it up to my nose when I go out with a hat on top because he was worried about my safety. And another Asian American friend sent me a handheld siren. And she suggested I carry it when I walk outside. Mm-hmm. You pull the plug and it makes a sound. I've never used either one of those, but thank God you haven't had to. The most I've addressed actually is when I'm having small talk with someone and they'll typically ask me, where are you from? And depending upon the circumstance, I'll say I'm from Oregon or near Portland, or I was born in the Columbia Gorge. But it's more telling than what their follow-up question is because sometimes the follow-up is, no, where were you really from before that? And that's when I realize. I'm viewed as an outsider and other. So that's how you experience that question. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so, and what they're asking is, are you, are you Japanese, Chinese, Filipino, whatever they're asked? That's what they're asking, but you hear it even more. That's what they're asking on the outside, but you, on the, you, you read more into it. Like you hear you're different than me is what you hear. In other words, they expect that I'm really not from Oregon. I must have been from somewhere else, perhaps a foreign country, even before. Mm-hmm. And that's a strange feeling to to be viewed as someone who, quote, doesn't belong. Yeah. No, I, I identify with that very much. I mean, even the simple thing of celebrating Hanukkah when everyone else celebrates Christmas, you know, yeah. it makes you feel other mm-hmm. somehow. But when, especially when people don't understand the holiday or, you know, it seems it, they're, they're almost sorry for you. Like, oh, well, you're missing out, you know. <laughs> In some ways, it's, it's great to be able to share new things. I mean, I remember at one time, sushi was not something that most people ate. Now it's, it's becoming a treat. Right. And I really do appreciate being able to share new ideas and new concepts with people. But. I also realize how important it is to get out of my own circle and meet other people and have new experiences so that, so that I can continue my learning. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've, and you've not only sounds like had a lifetime of learning, but, you know, teaching as well. So let, let's go kind of deeper into some of these other numbers. So this now, this next thing I'm sharing is a research piece uh, done in Los Angeles uh, this year. And uh, it says here that a study in 16 major cities uh, by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism found that a 164% increase in hate crimes reported to police 
against uh, the Asian community. So, so the reporting is certainly going up, but it sounds like based on what we've talked about, the probably the number of incidents is far higher than what is being reported. Mm-hmm. And so now this latest, so, you know, the, in 19, in the 1940s, the, the racism against Asians was based on the, the war activities that were uh, going on uh, on foreign soil. Um, and now they're, you know, I, I, I'm assuming, you know, you see it, this is at least to be partially true that it's emanating from the, the belief that the Asian community is responsible for the virus uh, spreading to this country. So I guess my question, cause it's, I, I can only imagine what your reaction is to all this, but I guess my question is, what do we do about it? How do we make this better from your perspective? Mm, good question. <laughs> well, as a teacher, one of the things that was so important to me was to be a positive role model Mm -hmm. and not only with kids, but also with adults. And to be honest, Rob, there's so many adults, including leaders who are demonstrating really poor behavior. They're using language that's discriminatory, that, that puts people down and, and, not only adults are following along, but kids are too. And, and that makes me really frustrated and sad. So the first thing I think we can do is simply be positive role models, talk to, to kids, especially about positive examples and go out of our way to meet and greet and support others who aren't like us or, or to be welcoming. For kids to show, to see that you know, we, can, we can help other people who look or act or eat differently than we are, we can offer support. It might be as simple as saying hello. Yeah, more than help, like expand our experience, like enrich in, in our experience. Exactly. And sometimes it, it's, um, it, it begins with a hello and a smile and, and then offering support and help. And learning about others. And the other thing I think is to expand our circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little bit difficult with COVID right now. On the other hand, we can invite more people to our book group, or we can uh, go out of our way to uh, introduce ourselves to somebody whom we see who might be standing by him or self or herself. But there are ways where I believe we can be allies. One of the things that that was important to me when when we were focusing on the Issei and the Nisei and the stories and the exhibits that we did with my book was to focus on what we called heroes and heralded. And that was, for example, in my hometown, those citizens who during World War II stepped forward and spoke out even when they themselves might have been misaligned as well. And it Mm. might have been the veteran overseas who wrote a letter who said, you took the names of 16 Nisei off the honor roll. Please take my name off too until they're replaced. Or the army captain who saw a Nisei soldier who wasn't able to get a haircut because the, the barber waved a razor at him and said, I ought to slit your throat. And that army captain found out where George Akiyama lived, parked the car at the bottom of the hill, 
walked up a mile and a half in snow to apologize to him, and then wrote a letter to the Oregonian speaking out for these brave men. Even high school students I found at a high school in, on the East Coast who wrote a letter after that incident, five of them saying, you know, grow up, put those names back, uh, stand up for what's right. So whether, we're, whether they're kids, whether they're adults, I, I think we have a right and a responsibility to be allies and to speak out for others. And it might be not by words, might, might be a smile, it might be a gesture, but we're all in this together. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it, you know, it. I find myself having to take some steps like that now. Uh, that, and it's sometimes scary, you know, but I, I, I feel like there's no alternative. There's no other choice. So I, I have a, another question I want to ask you. Um, this is all, you know, just great stuff that you're sharing. What What is the stereotype or stereotypes that most bother you? that exist about Asians. So before you even answer that, I'll say, you know, obviously, you know, Jewish people have the stereotype, oh, they're cheap. Oh, they have big noses. Oh, they're this, they're whatever. What's the stereotype that just drives you bonkers? Hmm. I guess the stereotype of Asian American women in terms of how we're supposed to act, that we're supposed to act sexy and- Or submissive or servant oriented and all that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. That That's valid. I won't say it because it, it, it would almost reinforce that. You don't want to perpetuate it. No, I totally, I totally get that. I'm, and I'm certainly asking for the opposite reasons. I want people to hear what is insulting. Cause I think sometimes people, you know, when they, I think sometimes people might not even be conscious of when they say, well, where are you really from? They might not be conscious of how that lands on you, you know? And so I'm asking these questions cause I, I, I want people to kind of maybe rethink what they're thinking. So, you know, wh when I asked that question of you, what I thought of was that stereotype of like, oh, you know, Asians are great at math. You know, Asians are at the top of the, they're throwing off the curve at school. And it's like, uh, gee, I, I'm pretty sure that I can find someone in the Asian community who's not good at math and who's not a good student, Right. Just like I can find people of any shape, color, form, size, et cetera, that is not good at something. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not the mathematician. There, see, I've already proved my point. You are evidence. <laughs> I am wrong. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I definitely want to be viewed on my own merits and my own weaknesses. I want people to treat me um, based on who I am and not who they think I should be. Love that. I love that. Yeah. And who you are is someone who is uh, making a difference with these books and with doing this talk with me today and with, with the teaching you've done. So Linda, in, in closing, what, what's the message you want to leave people will, with? What's a choice people can make to, you know, you said just saying hi, being accepting, invite new people into your circle, but is there anything else you want to add that we haven't talked about that would be a choice people can make that will make this challenging time that we're all in a little bit better. I think that would be what I try to do as a teacher and what I try to continue to do now. And that is simply to be a positive role model and a positive ally to others. Mm -hmm. I think we all need that. And sometimes there are so many negative messages that 
hearing a positive word, not, not what went wrong, but what can we do to make life better for ourselves, but mostly for other people too. Yeah. Very, very well said. Uh, Linda, where can people find your book, find your website or anything else you want them to find? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't know where to find my book. I guess, uh, I guess you could Google it. Nisei Soldiers Break Their Silence. And it's published by the University of Washington Press. Awesome. And then one more thing related to that is yes. that next week on June 3rd, the United States Post Office will be releasing a new forever stamp. And it's honoring Japanese-American World War II veterans. So we're thrilled about that. There will be a number of regional dedications. And um, Oregon will have ours in Portland on Flag Day, June 14th at 5.30 at the Oregon Historical Society. It'll be virtual uh, with four veterans present. But there is a, a website. Go to stampourstory.org and you can find it there. But we're Thrilled to be able to honor uh, these Japanese American World War II veterans. That's um, that's a, a a great and and you know quite permanent way to recognize them. And uh, I'm going to make sure uh, since we're still old school and use stamps ourselves, uh, I'm going to make sure and get uh, get that stamp when it's available. Great. I really appreciate you being here, Linda. Awesome. Uh, this was another episode of Clear Choices. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. All this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.